next African story will be written by Africans. Meet the people using technology, innovation, and entrepreneurship to craft this new narrative. This is Building the Future Podcast with your host, Dalton, coming up today on Building the Future. Ask any bank now, how many farmers are they providing agricultural credit for? None. But ask any insurance company, how many farmers are insured? Pretty much zero. Ask the Agricultural Research Agency, how many times do you provide quality planting material, you know, improved seedlings to farmers? Close to zero. Ask the farmers, how many times do you get someone to pay you an advance to grow anything? Same thing. The farmers have absolutely no idea what the market wants. This series is in partnership with the British Council in Nigeria. The British Council is the UK's international organization for cultural relations and educational opportunities. All opinions expressed by me and the podcast guests are solely ours and does not reflect the opinion or policies of the British Council. For more information about the British Council, go to britishcouncil.org.ng. One of the things we do at Starter is growth consulting. We work with select number of growth stage startups and established companies to grow and retain their customers. We do growth. We're not a digital marketing agency. Instead, we help our clients figure out their customer acquisition and retention by focusing on three major things. We help them build a consistent narrative and community around their core offers. Second, we help them build a scalable, repeatable, and cost-effective growth growth systems and strategies. And lastly, most importantly, we help them build an in-house team that we execute the strategies for them. We've worked with and still working with companies like Flutterwave, Cranium One, DIY Law, Omar Gardens, JEE Client Services, Amara Suit, and many others. We're a small team of startup entrepreneurs, investors, product designers, and growth marketers with experiences of building and scaling our own products and companies. To work with you, we'll have to determine if there's a fit and if we can significantly make a difference to your growth trajectory within a short time. If your business is currently making money, at least 10000 dollars per month and you want to scale to the next level let's have a chat go to we do and book a free strategy session with us that is w-e-d-o-g-r-o-w-t-h-dot-c-o we do and book a free strategy session with us today my guest today is Nasir Yamama. He is the founder of Verdant, an agri-tech value chain platform. Verdant uses technology to provide farmers in Nigeria with resources and information required to improve food production and then connect them to wider market. I first met Nasir in 2016 at a business event in London, and I was quickly impressed by the simplicity and the importance of what he is doing. Nasir is from northern Nigeria. He grew up in a farming community but his passion lies in technology. It's not surprising that he's using tech to solve problems for farmers. Verdon is working with Oxfam and GIZ to help 25,000 farmers double or triple their yields in Nigeria. Nasir was recently named one of Forbes 30 under 30 rising stars to watch in Africa. And in 2017, he received the Queen's Young Leaders Award in London for his work in agri-tech. I'm grateful to Tommy Shoyinka and Maria Williams of British Council Nigeria for putting together this 
event. Without them, this conversation wouldn't have happened. Nasir, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dutton. Right. It's been great, actually, to hear about your story and to read about it, what you're doing with uh, Verdant. But I just want you to tell us in a simple term, what is Verdant and why did you start it and what problem is it really solving? Uh, Verdant is um, an agri-tech company and uh, what we do predominantly is build technologies for farmers and the other stakeholders of the agricultural value chain. And it was uh, started to basically solve the problem of uh, the farmer, especially the smallholder farmer. So to create ease in terms of not only farming, but access to finance, access to market, and all the other things that will contribute to the improved livelihood of the farmer, which we believe would be the improved livelihood of an economy. So you're providing the support that farmers need to get the product out there. But what was the problem, really? It was the problem that farmers are not selling directly to uh, the people that will pay a lot of money to buy their product? Or is it that they are being changed because there's a lot of middlemen? So I think there are three problems that I'm seeing here. One is that they are not selling enough. Two is that they are not getting the best yield. Three is that the middlemen, there's too many middlemen that's not making them to get the best value for what they're selling. You've summed it quite well. And yeah, so there's not a single problem. Uh, it's actually a myriad of problems associated with farming and agriculture. As you can see, the smallholder farmer is isolated. He is not in any way connected to the market, the formal market at least, including banks. So what we see there is not only a problem of yields or access to market, but a problem of production to start with. So the approach is you should be able to have access to a market with a specification. For instance, you want rice, but what kind of rice do you want as a market, as a buyer, as, say, a processor? The farmer needs to know that in order to be able to do business with you, right? What we see every day in not only Nigeria, but most African countries is that the farmers have absolutely no idea what the market wants. As such, they end up growing something that they can only sell on the roadside. And when you can only sell on the roadside, it means you're at the mercy of whoever stops. And you see situations whereby you cannot sell because nobody wants your stuff. And it's the same rhetoric out there, you know. Even if we do build all the roads and complete all the railroads and do everything we need as far as infrastructure is concerned, it'll still not be worth it if the market is not connected to the farmer. And that's one problem. So say we connect the market to the farmer. Now, the farmer is also isolated from finance, from agricultural credit to loans to insurance. Any financial product you think, the African farmer is behind. They don't have access to it. Let's say we get to solve the finance problem now. How about quality planting materials? How about you know input that will be perfectly suited to fit the specification of the market so that you'll be able to meet it and sell? That's also a challenge. So what we are trying to do at Verdant is try to link the farmer to all these necessary ingredients, if you like, for the farmer to grow and to sell and to profit from the agriculture. Is it not looking that you're trying to do a lot? Because you have multiple problems you're trying to solve through one platform. Is there a place for different players to be able to solve that problem and have access to the farmers to solve their finance problem, logistics, access to markets? Uh, yield production problem? Because I'm hearing now there's so many things you're trying to do. And is that not too much? Or is there a place for disaggregation of what you're trying to do? I totally agree with you. It might seem from the outside that this is a bit too cumbersome for any entity to do, be it a, a corporate organization or even a government. But here's what happens. When you isolate a problem in agriculture and treat it as an individual problem, 
you end up not solving it because agriculture is a value chain business. You cannot say just because I fixed the farm input problem, everything should be good. The market has to be fixed. The finance has to be fixed and all the other things, including, mind you, the science of farming, which means extension, which means information, which means knowledge, which the farmers are also lacking. So what we tried to do is basically approach a complex problem with a simple mindset. So how do we connect the agricultural value chain? We are not a financial institution, so we can definitely not give you a loan, but we can facilitate it. So how do we get a bank in the room, right? One problem solved. See, we're not giving the loans. The bank is given, just that we provide an easy channel for the bank to be able to see the farmer for the so farm, a platform. pretty much. So can you walk me through the way it works? So I'm a farmer and I want to use Verdant. How does that work? So as you can see, it's complex. So how we approach it is by states. So if we're in a state, what you do is you register. There's a simple self-registration system whereby via text you register, you send your name, your last name and your gender and um, a code to a number, which means now you're part of the system. After that, an advanced registration follows whereby an administrator would visit you and your farm and take more data. But even before that, let's just say the, the, the individual and uh, self-registration bit allows you to you know, be visible at least to any other person who's on the platform. The idea here is to democratize the involvement or the inclusion into the platform and to make it so easy and so simple for everybody to join. The farmer is able to join with a low-end phone. Whatever phone that the farmer has could be able to plug in. On the other hand, the banker we expect to be, say, in the cities, you know, with access to not only broadband but a computer or a smartphone. So the banker could get online, you know, could use the web platform. So it's a simple two-way solution. You get the farmer accessed it using a low-end phone and the banker or the extension worker or the farm input provider or the government or whoever you are, as long as you're in the agricultural value chain, you can plug in you know, using either your smartphone or your web browser. So you have a platform that is two-sided. Pretty so the one for the farmer is super simple. Yes. They just need the details. The farm, what they are producing, yes. uh, how big it is, and maybe your yield. And then you have a more sophisticated platform for every other person in the value chain, the demand side. Absolutely. And on the other hand, we have realized that, you know, agricultural data is pretty much non-existent in not only Nigeria, but in Africa. So every single activity on the platform is continually being recorded and it's sorted and aggregated in a manner that's easy for any decision maker to make a decision. For instance, if you were, say, the commissioner of agriculture of certain state that we're in, and you wanted to know how many you know, women farmers are farming cotton in your state, because you want to put in you know, some money in your next budget to support women farmers in cotton, how do you know the number of farmers that are women that are producing cotton in your state? At a glance, with one click, on a dashboard that we provide, you'd be able to see that. So a commissioner can just click, Pretty filter, much. and aggregate all the women farmers and actually be able to contact them as well. Absolutely. That's interesting. So let's talk about how you actually get as farmers into the platform. How does that work at the moment? I'll illustrate a story. We, last October, I think, started work with the All Farmers Association of Nigeria in Kanu, the Kanu State Chapter. So what we did was rather than approach the public sector we decided to reach to a farmer cooperative and we introduced them to our system and we were lucky they were at the brink of a registration exercise that happens every year whereby a, a farmer would join the association 
with a, a token, say a thousand naira, to be a member. And that could be renewed every year. And they go through this rigorous process whereby someone would have to write down their name, take their details, and probably issue some ID card that you know you could replicate in a business center, all of that. So what we did was we automated that process for them using mobile phones, and then we told them of this amazing you know benefit that they could get from being part of the Verdon system. And right now, I'll tell you that we have close to 6,000 farmers from November to this date without a single word of marketing or any... Because you are able to leverage on the existing organization Absolutely. and aggregator. That's super key, by the way. So sometimes when I talk to entrepreneurs that needed to maybe do a distribution or they need a distribution channel or actually need to acquire customers in bulk, and I always say leverage on existing distribution channel. If you can leverage that, then you can get customers in aggregate rather than going one by one because that way you will reduce your cost of acquiring those users. So in your own case, you have... A organization. You just need to get those people to just believe what you're trying to do and align their interests with yours and then you get 6,000 people in a click. So that leads me to the next question. Where is the money in all of this? What's the business model for Vernon? So um, when we started, the business model was supposed to be a platform whereby the farmer accesses everything for free because if you look at it, the farmer is at the center of what we're doing and why we're doing it is largely because we feel the farmer is isolated and has no access to finance and all of that. So it'll be crazy to, you know, charge the farmer an arm and a leg for something, no matter how good it is. So we wanted to make the platform free for all farmers and then the big guys pay. So for instance, if I have a million farmers under my platform and you're a bank that uh, is looking for a million farmers to fund or to you know give loans, I mean, okay, here's an easy access for you. They're sitting right here and they're all valid and you know authenticated. All you have to do is just reach to them. So are you willing to pay, say, 15 naira per farmer? So- It was a data play. Pretty much. And then, on the other hand, we went out to the fields and, you know, in business as well as in entrepreneurship, it's different from the boards to the field. A lot of farmers are actually willing to pay. In Kano, currently, all farmers pay 500 naira to subscribe. And all 6,000 farmers on our, I mean, it could be 7,000 this morning, <laughs> but all of them have paid 500 naira to join the platform. What is the value for them? So exactly, they become visible to markets, they become visible to cutting-edge scientific research. So for instance, if we get the National Agricultural Extension and Research Liaison Service to get some new knowledge in agriculture, maybe it's about just uh, spacing when it comes to uh, planting, you know? Simple things like these are unavailable for our farmers and they've been you know, using traditional methods since ever. So with that kind of information, all NERLs have to do is just get on our platform and wherever they are, Abuja or Zaria or Lagos, they could be able to extend to a farmer in Kano or in Ilorin. So the farmer is attracted to that. And not only that, we also have the market on our platform, which means buyers. So if a buyer would come, uh, say, I want two metric tons of this, and then we distribute it across six, 7,000 farmers, and each farmer probably contributes 2 kg, 3 kg, and then we put it together. C2 values, markets, knowledge, and many other things that you know you could only get if a value chain is integrated. And I think we're the only ones integrating the agricultural value chain. So you can make money from the farmers. What about people that needed this information? Are you making money from that as well? So yeah, that's the data bit you mentioned. A lot of it is seasonal. So you couldn't really base your business model on something that couldn't go on and on. Um, most of our farmers are wet season farmers and, um, and there's a lot of emphasis in irrigation now, a lot of money being pumped into it, a lot of investment. But 
I don't think it's quite there. So you don't have a 365, you know, day a year business around demand-based uh, revenue models. But it's something we're willing to explore. So most of the money you're making is coming from the farmers joining the platform? Um, not quite. So only in Kano. We have farmers paying uh, in Kano. However, um, we are currently working with a lot of governments to see that they get to use data and decision making and they're paying for that. So two questions. When you started, how did you validate this idea? How did you get farmers on the platform? and convince them that this is going to be valuable to them. So the whole idea probably started in 2013. I was still in uni, and um, I started with building a prototype, which was like a web platform slash mobile app. Well, it was, you know how you get all romantic about your ideas, and you know I wanted to get everybody on it. And then I came to Nigeria, and we could not get a single rural farmer on the platform because... You know, it was web-based, it was app-based, and most of these farmers, you know, no mobile phone, no broadband. So we basically had to go back to the drawing board and segment the market. So there is a market for the app, for the web platform, but it's not for the rural farmer. So there are urban farmers, there are peri-urban farmers, there are big farmers who would, you know, naturally go to the farm with a tablet, and they're at home with their computer trying to monitor their farm or do stuff like that. So there's a market for that. So we shelved that bit for that market. And then we decided to build this two-way communication platform, uh, SMS to web, you know, to app for rural farmers. Simplified for the farmer because Absolutely. the farmers don't have or would not be able to use a smartphone. So yeah, that was how it started and that was how the transition to rural farmers happened. And uh, a lot of it happened because we actually went out to a real market instead of, you know, just staying, building apps and saying, we build it, you must come. So what happens is in, in entrepreneurship and business, you really have to get out there. Even if it means with a low fidelity prototype, even if it's a questionnaire, get out, speak to people, speak to your potential customers, because if not, you'd be locked in and not getting anything out. So, you're from a farming family. Your dad was a farmer. I assume he's a big farmer, right? He has a lot of fun. Can you tell me about that and how that helped you to ideate this properly and understand the challenge of that sector and how that helped you to also go out to know which kind of farmer that you're going to in the first place? So, tell me about your background initially. So, not only my dad, a lot of my siblings, including the women, are all farmers. So, I literally grew up, you know, in agriculture, if you like. What sort of, what sort of um, farm do they, does the family have? Okay, so there's a massive farm which involves uh, a lot of agronomy. So a lot of them grow food and cash crops. Uh, growing up, since the 60s, my father had grown cotton, groundnut, rice, maize, millet, sorghum, name it, everything. And uh, I think the most inspiring thing about all that for me was the fact that Everything that was grown in the farm, as far as cash crops are concerned, was for a market. So he was growing for a specific market. Cotton was going to Holland. Um, groundnut was going to Kano and then to, you know, export. And uh, the food crops, especially the maize, the rice, was all consumed locally. So there was that clear distinction, you know, there was that clear market specification, there was that clear demand. And, you know, back in the day, they had the marketing boards, which basically indexed market prices. So if you were a farmer in the 60s and 70s, there's a market price, say 5,000 naira for a bag of rice. If the market decides today that it's going to be 4,500 
you have the right to go to the marketing board and sell it at 5,000, whatever happens. Because you've agreed with the marketing board as 5,000. Pretty much. But today, marketing boards don't exist. And the farmer is basically left at the mercy of a market that he didn't even get a specification for. You know, growing up, I noticed a lot of things like that. And now I'm able to look at them in retrospect, if you like, and, you know, read the histories and understand why agriculture boomed, especially for people like my father. Because the same farm that my father grew back in the day is now, you know, being grown by more than... 100 people, and they don't even grow as much as he did back then. Okay, what was the problem? Was it that they're not selling enough, they don't have the access to the market that your dad had, or that they're not producing enough like your dad was producing then? I think a bit of each. Here's the thing. Right now, there's no market communication between you know the buyer, if you like, and the farmer, the producer. The banks are also not in tune with the farmer because... Ask any bank now, how many farmers are they providing agricultural credit for? None. Well, not many. Also, ask any insurance company, how many farmers are insured? Pretty much zero. And then, if you look at it, ask the agricultural research agency, how many times do you provide quality planting material, you know, improved seedlings to farmers? Close to zero. And then, ask the farmers, how many times do you get someone to pay you an advance to grow anything? Same thing. So I think that's missing. And was that happening in the 60s? To you? Absolutely. Absolutely. So was your dad one of those uh, farmers that produced granite for the pyramid in Kano? I believe so, yeah. And the pyramid in Kano, was it a government thing or was it a farming board? So that's the amazing thing. It was the government, but it was only existing because there was private interest and private involvement. Right. The government was there to coordinate, to put the structures. So the government set up companies, companies like the farmer's supply company and the marketing board. These were all public, but were run as a private entity, sort of like uh, the, the Bank of Industry now, or the Bank of Agriculture. I mean, it's public in nature, but it's meant to function as a private body, you know, make profit, run as a business. So that was what our government in the 60s and 70s got right with agriculture. And you could clearly see that it's a departure from that history. So they provided right infrastructure that enabled farmers to be able to sell their crop and enable people that want to buy this crop to buy it in a more efficient way. Absolutely. And what by I infrastructure here, I mean just having the presence of, say, someone coming to your farm to see if you're doing things correctly to fit a market request. Yeah. What happened to that pyramid in Kano? Why did it disappear? A number of things. So probably the ground knot wasn't needed in the quantity or quality that it's being grown anymore. And uh, look at this. I keep telling people, we don't really have to go back to the ground-up pyramids. There are better things to look for. That's a piece of history. I think we should leave it as that. We could look to greater things, to better things. I mean, just because we built ground-up pyramids, there's no reason why we should not build a data warehouse in 2018, because that's what we're about. Yeah, well, let's talk about that, because you mentioned something about 100 people are not producing as much as your dad was producing. And it's something also you said about the fact that probably there's not enough demand for quality and quantity of the kind of crops that they are doing in the 60s. So the market has changed. The market has evolved. But yeah, we still have the land and we still have people that can farm. Is it that we need to look for a new crop uh, that fits into the market? Like what you're doing, getting that real-time information about what the market wants to be able to do that. Or is it that people are leaving farming and they're now moving to the city to get a job? So there's not enough quality of skills available in the farming community now. I just want to identify some of the major problems 
that has shifted what has happened then. I agree with you about not building another pyramid. Maybe we should build another rice pyramid, for example. Uh, but I want to know fundamentally, not beyond this problem you're trying to solve, but fundamentally what can be done to agricultural sector to enable it to grow and better than it is. So if you look at the agricultural economy, I mean, even if you're a layman, you'd clearly see that there's more people on earth right now. So we should need more groundnut, right? There's more people who need more food. We should probably be growing more than we are currently growing. So why are we not, you know, producing to meet that demand? So the market is there. The demand is there. All I'm saying is we're not growing to the correct specification of the market. So you can't tell me that, say, the Europe doesn't need more groundnut or more soybeans. They just don't want our one because it's not the right one. So all we have to do is basically get the market to communicate its demand for us. See, even if the federal government decides to build a bridge from here to China, you know, and China would take all our rice, if that rice is not the right rice, when it reaches China, they will probably return it. So all we have to do is make sure that we know the right uh, specification. And when we do that, then we help the farmer to grow to that specification. Let's take the rice, for instance. So we get a specific type of rice that China wants. For instance, let's say China. And mind you, we have our own problems. We are, we're a little China in Africa. And if we could, you know, feed ourselves, I think that would even be better before we started talking about China. So let's say Abuja wants a specific type of rice. And uh, let's say Kebbi has the land and the people and everything to grow that rice. So how do you get a farmer in Kebbi to grow to the specification of Mr. Dotun, who's in Abuja, who wants to eat, you know, nice jollof, right? So we have to put in the finance, the science, the mark, everything has to be right for that rice to reach your plate. And there's a whole value chain between the farm and your plate. So all I'm saying is, let's communicate that demand to not only the farmer, but to the extension buddy that will advise the farmer on the right way to grow that rice, and to the farm input provider that will provide the seed for the farmer to grow that rice, and for the other farm input provider that will provide the chemicals in terms of the fertilizer, the pesticides, and every other thing that the farmer will need to apply for that demand to be right. And that's where your technology comes in, because technology can aggregate all of that and give that to the farmer and, and also the extension worker. And that's what Verdant is doing. That makes it super compelling what you're doing. How many farmers are now on your platform? Probably close to 18,000. We have a cap of 25,000. but uh, Why a cap? Well, it's not a cap cap, but we wanted to have reached 25,000 by now because uh, there's a vision or dream to get 20 million. Yeah, I saw that. So, so I was wondering, why do you have a cap of 25,000 if you're going for 20 million, 20 19? The right thing to have said was we have 25,000 farmers, but uh, we don't. So in each state that we're in now, we want to at least have 25,000 you know, by the first quarter of this year, which is coming to an end. That's what you want to have. So as the baseline for you to then move to the 20,000. Because when you do that, it means you would have been able to prove to at least one financial institution, at least one farm input provider, the very least one public sector, that's the government, or at least one agency that this works and we need to get more farmers on this and then 
I think there'll be more than an exponential growth on 25,000 that will give us 20 million. How many farmers are in Nigeria? Your addressable market, let's start with Nigeria. I know you're African focused, but let's talk about Nigeria. How many farmers are in Nigeria, potentially? This will be difficult for even the highest ranking agricultural agent or person in Nigeria to answer. And I tell you this because data is my business and I know this. Some people will tell you that 14 million farmers have been recorded in the last two years. I mean, in 2015 to this day. And I think it's bogus. There's more farmers than that. If we say 70% of our population is actively involved in agriculture, then we definitely have more than 14 million farmers. Are they? Is there 70 million of people in Nigeria actively involved in agriculture? 70%, yes. 70%? Yes. How? I thought a lot of people live in the cities like Kano, Lagos, Portacourt, and they're not farmers. Okay, so how many people live in Kano City? Do you know? The city, the, the metropolis. City, the metropolis. No idea. Exactly. So Kano cannot be isolated to Kano City, just like you know, all other states have local governments with mm -hmm. more people. And there's, of course, a lot of rural-urban migration. I agree with that. And we know it's a trend. But still, the number of people in the localities, in the rural areas, actively involved in agriculture that do not have government or private sector jobs outweigh the number of people in the cities that work. You know well, that. 70% of 200 million is about 140 million. So let's cut down all the kids in that 140 million. You're left with at least... 80 million people actively involved, able-bodied, actively involved in agriculture. When you say actively involved, does that include all the value chain, transport, logistics, having a farm, yeah, so, selling egg, whatever? Is that what Pretty you much. And you cannot relegate agriculture to just farming, you know that. Right. So we're looking at a lot of things from aquaculture to poultry to farming. I was recently traveling to Katsana and this remarkable thing keeps happening. Every time you go on the roadside, you see a stretch of tomatoes like being put to dry every time this is not just being brought there by the farmers but by people who are in the business of just you know selling tomatoes and they're not city people they're not the middlemen we're talking about these people are still rural dwellers who are still in between the in-between you know and uh, they're all active in agriculture whether we like it or not so to answer your question we would probably be the first platform that you could look towards for authentic data of the number of farmers in Nigeria. Interesting. Actually, I just remember now, so my late mom had a business one time where she come from Lagos to Kano. I think they were arbitraging beans. So they would buy beans uh, during the low or whatever high season and store it. I think there are lots of storage in Kano. And they store it for a long time uh, and then sell it during the low season or something like that. And I was young then. I don't understand the business. Why do you have to buy beans and store it? I think you're right. So there may be people like her. She's a Lagos dweller. But most people didn't know that she was doing that business. She would just fly to Kano and have a distributor buy it and store it and then come back to Lagos and then they ship it to Lagos when it's due. And your platform will enable people like that to be able to have access to the right information, to get to the farmer directly, and to reduce the connection between the farmer and the market. Right. So at the moment, you have about 18,000. The goal is to get 20 million. Are you doing regionally at the moment in northern part of Nigeria or you all over Nigeria? I mean, your farmers are distributed everywhere. How is it? So, I mean, you've rightfully said what we are doing is not only complex, but uh, difficult to achieve if you were looking at it from the perspective of a small enterprise, small business, you know? 
So to say that we will deploy nationally, you know, to 36 states, 140 million people would be to delude ourselves. So what we are trying to do is get beachheads. So we've been to a few states and we're concentrating on a number to at least penetrate the market properly and then we would uh, explore other places. And at the moment, apart from some of the grants that you got, have you raised money for this business? Apart from the grant, we have negotiated with uh, a few international organizations like the European Union, like Oxfam, to build the platforms that we propose and to have their farmers benefit from the sort of services that are being provided through the platform. And other than that, we have also been in touch with a few private equity firms trying to raise funds. But largely, I think what we have been most interested in is the sort of public-private partnerships that could come with governments to set up infrastructures, to set up the platform so that farmers could plug in with the support policy backing of the government. And that has been basically what we've been running on for the past so year. So you talked a lot about working with government. And there'll be some entrepreneurs listening to this who have some business idea that needed some government input or connection to help them. I assume your family are a bit aristocratic from Castina, even though you said you're from farming family, but it's not like you're one plot farmer. You're from a bit of aristocratic family. How helpful was that for you to get some government support? Or was it just that they were convinced about the importance of what you're building? I just wanted to draw a thread about how somebody else who might have some idea that they needed some government intervention. How can they do that? And how helpful was your own family background for you? I think the validity of our problem solving has helped a lot. Because most of the time, I didn't have to lift a finger in terms of getting to know someone to be able to talk to the government. The first time I had more than five governors sitting in a room was at an entrepreneurship expo pretty much just like this in Lagos. And uh, after my speech, I explained the whole Verdant idea and the journey so far and, you know, all the activities. How did you get to that forum where there are five governors listening to you? (laughs) So I got an invitation, I think, from... uh, It has to be some social entrepreneurship network that invited me to speak at the Tinubu Colloquium in Lagos. How did they know about you to speak at that podium? Yeah, I think it was from the the social media or something. Okay, so you got known through the social media. I'm just trying to draw a link here. You participated in the British Council Entrepreneurship Challenge and you won that. And then there was a bit of PR about you meeting Richard Branson and then you got known a bit and then when you're looking for somebody who is knowledgeable about the space you got invited to that colloquium okay you can continue absolutely okay so I spoke about it all and then I got off the stage and this man comes up to me and he says see I'm the coordinator of all rice in Nigeria you need to give me your number so I bring out my little farmer phone the little Nokia and I took his number and I rang him and he puts a hand, uh, his hand on the pocket and says, oh, it's ringing, I got you. And then he goes. And then just after he leaves, someone comes and whispers in my ear, hey, that's the governor of Kebi. And then all the other governors started coming. And so that was basically the first time I decided to engage state governments because I believe that if we're able to prove the concept at the state level, imagine if every state in each region had you know, a full-blown verdant ecosystem then it will be so easy to integrate the regions and so easy to have the whole nation, you know. So let's talk about after that call with Governor Kebe. So I've just been able to draw the thread of how you got into that room and you spoke. He now has your number. Did you call him afterwards? Oh, no. He called you afterwards. He called you and what happened? 
You, yeah, so we set up a meeting and he said a few members of his cabinet would be coming to our offices in Abuja. So we had a we prepared presentations, we made preparations to give them a full What was the ask for that meeting? The ask was allow us to integrate your agricultural value chain so that you would know and you'd have real-time data of agricultural activities in Kebi. And by virtue of Kebi being one of the largest rice-producing states in Nigeria, the Anko Borough program was started in Kebi. I mean, but there are still complexities in that. It's a great idea, but it's not being executed right because of some data gaps. And we basically saw the opportunity to pitch to solve that. So problem. the cabinet came to your office with the governor. No. The, the cabinet came to your office. You pitched them. So, okay, we can help you solve some data problems, data gaps. We can plug that data gaps for you. We can integrate into your value chain and help your farmers to be able to produce more and also get to the market faster. And what happened? They got up and clapped? Or what happened after that presentation? Oh, yeah, they were blown away. They were amazed. And I mean, I'd like to tell you that we're currently working towards actually executing the project. So you wrote a proposal and they said, yes, of course, the governor is supporting it. And then you now execute the process. I read somewhere that you were quite impressed with what you did with that project. You are executing it well. What does executing something well with the government mean? Because in some places, it means just ticking a box. But for you, what does that mean? Was it that you are able to provide value that they can see? Because the government's agenda is sometimes different from private sector agenda. What does that mean when you're executing a project? And what are the key challenges that you faced? From a business point of view, the only sufficient and the right state of mind for a business is a paying customer. And if the government decides to pay for 100 farmers for four months, what about the next four months? So I don't think it's okay for us to do business, you know, with the government and that's it on a contract basis. I do not subscribe to that philosophy of business. And then when it comes to our satisfaction in dealing with the government, I believe the only way is to actually affect the end users in this equation. And that's referring to the farmer and the other stakeholders of the agricultural value chain. Because like you said, a lot of people in government might just be really interested in being seen as you know, that government that's doing something in agriculture. But what we want to do is bring about real impact in the agricultural space. And uh, the only way for us to do that is to demonstrably show you that agricultural production has increased, farmers' access to market has increased, farmers' financial inclusion has increased, and all of these things are coming together to, you know, improve the Nigerian economy. That's great. You met Richard Branson uh, as part of the enterprise challenge that you won. And also you were also nominated as a Queen's Young Leaders Award. How impactful are all of this high-profile award and meeting with Richard Branson for your business? I mean, so first of all, meeting Richard Branson was a magnificent dream come true. I think it uh, did a lot towards putting me on the track that I'm currently following. I could remember going back to class the next day after meeting Richard Branson and... Were you a student when you met him? Yeah, I was in school. I come in and right from the tube, a lot of people were, oh, I saw you last night and all of that. And I got back to the class and then my professor says something to me that was profound. He said, you'd now speak to me as my parent and he's telling me to pursue this as a career. Don't let it go. I had the dream to actually pursue this as my career, but that was phenomenal. So you could see that a lot of people took that quite seriously, even if I didn't, even if I took it as a folly, it was a life-changing moment that people saw and that I could probably see and I still 
you know, relive every moment. You were a student in London when you won the challenge and you met Richard Branson in Middlesex University. Yes. In Hendon Campus. Yes. I went to Middlesex. Ooh. Yeah, but not the Hendon Campus. I was in Enfield oh, before it had closed it. How were you able to run your business as a student? Okay, so the business started in university, which came with a lot of support, if you ask me. Because at that time, if you were a student in England, you could go to the British Library. There's a business clinic where you'd be helped to build a business plan. And there was someone dedicated to making... I mean, all you have to do is just like you'd see a doctor, just book an appointment, and you go there and you'd and go it's free. Through, absolutely free. So I benefited a lot from that. I wasn't really running the business because I had a thesis to write, but I was continually making the idea better, getting around the business plan better, and getting to understand what I'll be doing once I got out of uni. So you were doing that as well as studying? Yes. And that helped you to be able to shape the business in the way you're doing it now? Absolutely. So how many staff have you got in the business now? How big is the business at the moment? It's still a little agile startup of less than 10 um, I'm including the active members of our board. You'd probably count 11. Yeah. What is the composition of the people? Are they all software and data analysts? Or what do they do? Okay, so a lot of us double as both engineers and field workers and operational officers. But yeah, as you'd have it, we have technology officers, we have operations officers, and uh, we have a few people that do admin and finance. And then we have people who understand the fields and the farms and the farmers better. And you build all your technology in-house yourself? Yes, absolutely. Everything is being built in-house. Ah, that's very key because you don't want to outsource the core of the business. So I'm going to be running off the interview now with four series of questions, fire and question. I just need your straight answer to them. Um, are you ready for that? Okay, so what's your biggest business pain point at the moment? I mean, every entrepreneur would tell you money, right? <laughs> so yeah, finance, not only getting it, but uh, allocating it to the right part. I mean, a pain point here would be getting, say, a farmer to be properly warehoused, say, agricultural produce stored and all of that. We can't do that. We're only a startup. So how do you, say, get a company like Apex to open a silo or warehouse in Plateau for a number of farmers. That would sound like just a phone call or a visit, but if you look at it, it also involves finance. So we currently experience the pain of not getting enough finance and not allocating it correctly in terms of addressing are you, this. Are you the one that will allocate the finance or just connecting farmers to the finance? So connecting, the connecting. connecting. But then there's a lot of off-digital, real logistic problems when it comes to this. Because I could connect you, the buyer, to the farmer. But then do I just back off and say, okay, you solve the transportation between you? But then your business model, will it accommodate that? Absolutely it, not. It, so how do you make money in the long run? How do you become profitable if France are paying 1,000 naira per annum and you're doing all of that for them? We're not. Okay. And this is why I'm saying it's a pain point because we are unable to do it because it's capital intensive. It takes a lot of money. And that's why we probably need a lot of influx of financing probably to just be able to do the connection better. Right. But even then, if somebody gives you a certificate grant, somebody invests in you and you spend 15,000 naira to do all those connections for a farmer. And the farmer is only paying 1,000 per annum. You could charge a commission on the trade, on the transaction. Right, okay. So, Jotun, if you had a million dollars, I'm just throwing this out there right now. 
Like, we have a business model that could get you back your million dollars and probably a 20%, you know? I think we should have a chat about that because um, so I'm currently joining Ventures Platform as an investor and then we're looking for infrastructure businesses like yours. So we should have a chat like that, actually. We're looking at investing in businesses beyond just early stage up to a million dollars. So I'm interested to know more about your business model around that. So finance is the biggest problem. Are you profitable at the moment? Yeah, I'd like to think we'll break even soon. You break even soon. So the next question, what is your number one growth metric? What do you look at in your business to indicate that you're growing? Okay, I know what you're expecting, number of farmers, but no. I think our growth metric would be the activities throughout the value chain. So if you looked at our dashboard currently, you'd see a lot of activities on the farmer side. You'd see that at least five farmers register perhaps every hour or every two, three hours, five farmers. And that's some activity, right? And then you'd see at least one farmer tries to ask for something. Maybe whether, maybe just help, maybe seek for finance or something. But what I'd like to see is the bank being as active as the farmer. The farm input provider being as active as the farmer. So our one growth metric would be all-round activity throughout the agricultural value chain digitally. So number of active users or the intensity of the activity. Absolutely. Right, that's what you're measuring, which is quite good. Which book are you reading at the moment? Non-business. So I just got this poetry book, uh, Conference of the Birds. What is it about? Well, it's an allegorical work by Fariduddin Atari, whereby a number of birds are just talking to each other. That's quite good. Okay, apart from Verdant, which other business is getting exacted at the moment? Okay, so we've been trying to set up an innovation space in Abuja where technology meets impact, meets innovation, and, you know, problems are solved. We've currently reached a point, um, we're trying to launch in a few weeks, perhaps. It basically involves ideas and companies and peoples like what we have in Verdant, but around environment, around water and sanitation, around engineering and a number of other areas. And that's what you're doing as a side project? Or is that Verdant extension? Oh no, uh, it's different from Verdant. So it's a side project. So I'll ask another question that is not related to some of the business stuff. I listen to Alifa Kature a lot. He's a Malian musician. He sings in, I think, Fuller language. I have no idea what he's talking about, but I love his music. And it reminds me of the North and Nigeria. Which Aosa musician would you recommend for me to listen to? That is on Spotify, possibly. Okay, so a lot of my Hausa music is not contemporary. A lot of it I like old music, by the way. Yeah, so you might not necessarily find it on Spotify, but I could give you a CD. <laughs> okay. If you listen to Malian music and Tuareg music, then yeah. you probably like, you know, the upbeat traditional with drums, trumpets, and all of that. And what about with a string inst instrument? Do, Absolutely. Do, so I have this guitarist called Mekomo. He sings for hunters. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, he has amazing stories in the song, like song form. It's really remarkable. It's just that none of it is digital. I don't think it's on YouTube or Spotify. I'd like to listen to him. Yeah, certainly do it. Thank you very much for coming to the show. It's been interesting having a chat with you. Thank you for coming to Being in the Future. You're very welcome. This series is in partnership with the British Council in Nigeria. The British Council is the UK's international organization for cultural relations and educational opportunities. All opinions expressed by me and the podcast guests are solely ours and does not reflect the opinion or policies of the British Council. For more information about the British Council, go to britishcouncil.org.ng. 
One of the things we do at Starter is growth consulting. We work with select number of growth stage startups and established companies to grow and retain their customers. We do growth. We're not a digital marketing agency. Instead, we help our clients figure out their customer acquisition and retention by focusing on three major things. We help them build a consistent narrative and community around their core offers. Second, we help them build a scalable, repeatable, and cost-effective growth systems and strategies. And lastly, most importantly, we help them build an in-house team that we execute the strategies for them. We've worked with and still working with companies like Flutterwave, Cranium One, Diawa Law, Omar Gardens, JEE Client Services, Amara Suit, and many others. We're a small team of startup entrepreneurs, investors, product designers, and growth marketers with experiences of building and scaling our own products and companies. To work with you, we'll have to determine if there's a fit and if we can significantly make a difference to your growth trajectory within a short time. If your business is currently making money, at least $10,000 dollars per month and you want to scale to the next level let's have a chat go to we do and book a free strategy session with us that is w-e-d-o-g-r-o-w-t-h dot c-o we do and book a free strategy session with us today you've been listening to building the future podcast by dota These are the interviews with entrepreneurs that are playing a key part in shaping the African future, and you'll be able to hear all their stories. For more, sign up for the weekly newsletter at thestarter.com. Our revolution will be televised. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. Before you go, I have a favor to ask you, and it will take 30 seconds of your time or less. It will mean a lot to me. If you like this podcast, you can easily let me know by going into iTunes, Teacher, SoundCloud, or wherever you download podcasts and subscribe. You can also go to our website, thestarter.com. That is T H E. S-T-A-R-T-A dot com and sign up for our newsletter. It will be a huge favor to me and it's really simple and easy. If you subscribe now, it will help us a lot. Thanks.